You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. This is the beginnings of our ministry back in the late 60s and early 70s. You know, bikers and thieves and drug addicts, and God chooses the most unlikely candidates to do His will. So that when you, when you point to those individuals, they won't receive any of the praise or the glory. Because they'll, say, they, they'll, they'll see God behind them. There's no way that you can explain the success of their ministries pointed to those individuals knowing who that they are. Ephesians is a beautiful book. If you've ever stood at the edge of the Grand Canyon or some other great wonder of creation, you know that feeling of awe and wonder that it can inspire. As Pastor Mike will express in today's message, that's a worthy comparison to the feelings we can have towards the book of Ephesians. It's as practical as it is beautiful. And there's no question it took divine inspiration and control for Paul to pen this letter to his brothers and sisters in the church of Ephesus. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 as he begins his message, Christ's Gift to His Church. I remember what you said, you Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, grace and peace, if you've noticed, just a little bit of uh, epistle trivia, if you will. Uh, did you notice in many of the Pauline epistles, this is the way that Paul begins those letters, grace and peace which, of course, are the uh, salutations that are to be delivered both to the Greek uh, as well as the Jew. Uh, Jew the Jew, peace, shalom, uh, and grace unto the uh, Gentile. So uh, often referred to as the Siamese twins, grace and peace. So grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So as I mentioned, I'm pretty excited about sharing this new uh, series of studies uh, from this particular book of the Bible. And not only for the, because it happens to be one of my favorite books of the Bible, but just because of the, uh, you know, the ways that people re have responded to it. Uh, it. It's so rich. It's so comprehensive. And I'll give you some of the reasons why I believe that to be true. But let me begin by, first of all, 
sharing with you some of the various ways that this particular book of the Bible has been recommended to us. The book of Ephesians has been described by various and respected authors as the queen of epistles, the greatest, the maturest, and for our time, the most relevant of all of Paul's writings. It's also been referred to as the Grand Canyon of Scripture, meaning that it is breathtakingly beautiful, inexhaustible to the one who wants to take it in. Well, listen, putting aside all of the superlatives, I think its chief value is found in its concise, clear, and practical pronunciation of Christian doctrine. And as I already mentioned, it's pretty comprehensive. You know, within this one book of the Bible, within six chapters, think about it, there are 27 different doctrines that are addressed by Paul in this one letter. Everything from the Trinity to the unseen world. And so in this book of the Bible, the church is seen as God's new society. And all the truths of Christianity that are addressed in this book are therefore linked to us, you and I, as God's people. In it, we are told who we are, how we came to be who we are, what we shall be, and what we must do in light of that destiny. The whole letter is a magnificent combination of Christian doctrine and Christian duty, Christian faith and Christian life, what God has done for us through Christ, and what we must do in consequence. So those are just some of the reasons why I'm pretty excited about sharing this new uh, series of studies with you. You know, before we go ahead and launch out to some of those reasons, let me give you some more background, or, well, actually, I didn't give you any background yet, but let me give you some background as it relates to the actual location of this place known as Ephesus. Uh, what was Ephesus like? Well, Ephesus, first of all, was the capital of what they referred to as proconsular Asia. And uh, proconsular Asia was a Roman province, uh, covered uh, the western parts of Asia Minor, and uh, you can check that out probably at the back of your Bibles in your Bible atlases. It included these various cities like uh, uh, Mysia, Lydia, Cateria, and also Figria were, uh, were also uh, a part of that area and region, which was also known as Proconsular uh, Asia. But Ephesus was the capital. Ephesus was the chief city. And as such, was the political and commercial center of a large and prop, uh, prosperous region. And that is why Paul spent so much time there. Ephesus was uh, on the Caister River, not far from the Aegean Sea or coast. Its port was large and so became the chief communication and commercial link between Rome and the east. Merchants flocked to it. It became a melting pot of nations and ethnic groups. Greek and Roman, Jew and Gentile, mingled freely in its streets. Ephesus also boasted the largest of all Greek open-air theaters. It held 25,000 spectators. And uh, that was no small thing back there, uh, back then. 
There was a stadium for chariot races and fights with animals. Chiefly, however, Ephesus boasted of its great temple to Diana. It was considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It measured 425 by 220 by 60 feet, about four times the size of the Parthenon uh, uh, that was located in the city of Athens. And it housed the statue of Diana, believed to have come down from heaven. And this temple was a uh, depository for huge amounts of treasure and was, in effect, the Bank of Asia. It was served by hundreds of the priestesses of Diana who were temple prostitutes. So in the evening, these prostitutes would filter into the city and through their prostitution would actually raise the revenue for the upkeep of that temple of Diana. And so to this city, the Apostle Paul came to preach briefly on his second missionary journey, and extensively on his third. In the city, God was pleased to establish a faithful church to the Christians of that city, attempting to live for God in the midst of utter paganism. The Apostle Paul directs this letter. So that's just some of the uh, background. Now, let me begin by saying and sharing a story Uh, with you that I think, unfortunately, illustrates the Christian today who is devoid of this knowledge. What knowledge am I referring to? That is, who we are, what we've become in Christ, and also how rich we are in Him. And so with that said, that brings us to our first point this morning. If you're taking notes, write this down. Remember, there's always a place on the backside of your bulletin to do exactly that. That brings us to our first point this morning, and that is spiritual paupers. And there are many Christians today who, listen, really love the Lord, but don't know all of the issues and teachings and doctrines and lessons that we're going to be talking about over the next couple of months that lends itself to our being victorious Christians, to help us to become the kinds of Christians, the kinds of people that God wants us to become. And thus they continue to live as spiritual It's not to say that they're not saved, that they haven't secured their eternal destiny in heaven with Jesus at the end of their lives, but nevertheless, while they're here, they live weak and defeated lives. Now, to illustrate this, I want to share a story with you, as I've already mentioned. There was a very wealthy woman who lived during the early part of the 19th century. Her name was Hetty Green. And I think I might have actually uh, shared this story with you uh, in, a, uh, in one of my other uh, Bible studies, not relating to the book of Ephesus. Well, anyway, the legacy that she left behind was a very unusual one. Hetty has gone down in history as America's greatest miser. When she died in 1916, she left an estate valued at over $100 million, and of course an amount that would be worth considerably more today. She ate cold oatmeal because it cost to heat it. Her son had to suffer, isn't that crazy? Uh, Her son had to suffer a leg amputation because she delayed so long in looking for a free clinic that his case became incurable. She was wealthy, and yet she chose to live like a pauper. Now, how would you describe this woman after what I've just suggested, after what I've just told you? Someone would say, well, you know, 
an eccentric rich woman. Or maybe you would come to the conclusion, this lady is just out of her mind. She's crazy, right? But listen, Hetty Green is an illustration of too many Christian believers today. They have limitless wealth at their disposal, and yet they live like paupers. Spiritual derelicts. They're, I guess for them, it's sufficient enough for them to just simply live defeated, weak Christian lives and existences. Listen, it was this kind of Christian that Paul wrote to. That is the epistle to the church at Ephesus. Listen, this is what we need to take away from this first point. God doesn't want his kids, right, to live this way. He wants us to draw from our limitless resources that he has made available to us in and through his son, Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing that I need to firmly establish. Now secondly, and this becomes our second point, a plan for all of us. Listen, every every person that's here, every person who who has been born again of the Spirit of God, who has been converted to Christ, God has a very specific plan in mind for you a work that he wants to, in and through you, to accomplish. And that work differs from one person to the next. But, you know, that's the the multifaceted work that God wants to do in the world in which we live. And he's given us the opportunity and the privilege to work alongside of him to that end. Okay, so let's go back to our text now. Notice there in the first part of verse 1. Paul, an apostle, or a sent forth one, that's just simply an accurate definition of what an apostle is, it's a sent out one. And isn't that really what God did Uh, concerning Paul? He just sent him out. And anyway, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, but notice, this is very important, by the will of God. And notice, Paul is very careful to make mention of that not by the will of man or the choosing of man or by man, but rather by the will of God. And and I think, you know, therein lies the secret to Paul's success. He was sent out by God. He was anointed by God. He was enabled by God. Okay, so what do we take away from this? Well, obviously Paul is the author of this epistle. Paul, who at one time was known as Saul who faithfully served God as a devoted rabbi. He climbed through the religious ranks of that day, and he became a member of the Sanhedrin, which was the presiding, he was a a member of the presiding religious council there in the city of uh, Jerusalem. Later on, he became the leader of the anti-Christian movement in the city of Jerusalem. In fact, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, and if you'd like, you can turn there yourself. Then Saul, stood, and this was a member while he was uh, a member of the Sanhedrin. This was before his conversion experience on the road to Damascus. Then Saul, before his name was changed to Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters or documents or the authority from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any 
who were of the way. And by the way, that was before the term Christian was actually coined. That's the way they referred to the early Christians. They referred to them as, you know, those guys of the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, So that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And so Paul, well, Saul, before his name was changed to Paul, became the leader of the anti-Christian movement in Jerusalem. And Saul was arrested by Jesus Christ and was converted. And so Saul of Tarsus became Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. And so notice, there in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, he became what God had meant him to become. And i got to tell you something. I just, I just love the way that God does things. And I love the way that God chooses people to do his work. And it's always the most unlikely of candidates, isn't it, that God chooses. I, I think to confound the wise is one of the reasons why he does that. So that that man, you know, you know you, you, it's, it's interesting the way that we size up people for the ministry. And there's been times, I've got to tell you something, where, I, where I've been guilty of this very thing. You know, where we're looking for a certain need in the body and someone to lead a men's group or whatever. So uh, we look around the room and we look at, you know, we're looking for someone who is, uh, you know, maybe, uh, you know, a, a, a strong-looking guy, maybe a six-footer, looks like a middle linebacker, like he can play for the New York Giants or whatever. And, uh, you know, someone whom we think other men will look up to. And so we size them up. But you know what the Bible tells us? Remember when uh, the Bible tells us that God had repented of ever placing Saul as the king over Israel, and he was going to look for another. And remember Jesse's sons. David was amongst them. But he was the, the smallest, the weakest. He was the smallest in the litter, if you will, you know, kind of a thing. And uh, remember God speaking through the prophet uh, Samuel, uh, God looks upon the heart. He doesn't look on the outward appearance when he chooses people for a particular task or uh, a ministry, uh, to fulfill a, uh, a ministry. And so I've always found it quite curious and interesting the way that God goes about choosing people. And it's usually the most unlikely of candidates. If you can ever get your hand on I have a copy in in my library. It's called Harvest. And it has to do with the men that God used to launch the Jesus movement in the late 60s, early 70s, which became Calvary Chapel, and Pastor Chuck Smith was the leader of back in in Southern California. And you look at all of those guys, guys like Greg Laurie and uh, Mike McIntosh, who was totally out of his mind. Uh, Mike is a really interesting character. Mike, on, on one occasion, uh, was on LSD, and someone actually took a gun and shot it uh, near his head. And he had this uh, hallucination where he thought that his head was actually blown off of his body. And for a season, he, was actually think, he, was, he thought he was walking around without a head. These are the kinds of characters that God uses, right? This is the beginnings of our ministry back in the late 60s and early 70s. You know, bikers and thieves and drug addicts. And God chooses the most unlikely candidates 
to do his will. So that when you, when you point to those individuals, they won't receive any of the praise or the glory. Because they'll, say, they, they'll, they'll see God behind them. There's no way that you can explain the success of their ministries pointed to those individuals knowing who that they are, you see. It, it's the God behind them that enable them to do the work of the ministry so that he gets all of the credit, so that he gets all of the glory. And I stand before you as, an, as a living example of that, of that example uh, this morning as well. So let me ask you this question. And, and I think that it's a question that all of us need to consider. And uh, God has a plan for you. And as I mentioned before, that plan is different from one person to the next. God has called me to a teaching ministry. Uh, God has make, may have called you to uh, be a deacon here in the body or an assistant pastor or working in the kids' ministry or a parent raising their child in their home, a, a Christian businessman, a Christian businesswoman. Uh, whatever your calling may be, God still in that occupation has a plan. He has a plan. He has a plan for each and every one of us. So here's the question. Are we cooperating with his divine program, and are we responsive to his promptings? Are we responsive to his promptings? And you know what? You'll never experience what God wants you to experience until you do exactly that. God has so much more for us. And you know what? It can take the, as you've heard me say so many times before, it can take the mundane things of our lives the colorless things of our lives, and color them and make them so much more meaningful, like going to work Monday through Friday and putting in 8 to 10 to 12 hours. You know, you're thinking, what am I doing this for? Well, you know, when you know that you're doing it for Christ, that God has provided that opportunity for you to be an influence, to be your, his witness there at your place of employment, it makes all of the difference in the world. It takes something that's so mundane and makes it so much more meaningful. So think about that. Let me ask you the question once again. Are we cooperating with his divine program? Are we responsive to his promptings? So anyway, getting back to the point, I just love the way that God does things, choosing the most unlikely of candidates. Well, anyway, getting back to Paul now and his conversion experience, about the year 53 A.D., Paul first ministered in the city of Ephesus during one of his missionary campaigns, but did not stay there. Two years later, he returned and spent about two years seeing to it that the whole area was evangelized. You can read about that in the book of Acts in chapter 19. And there we are told in Acts chapter 19 that Paul uh, sounded out the gospel throughout all of Asia. That was sort of like Paul's headquarters there in the city of Ephesus. In my father's house there's a place for me in my father's house where I long to be oh my Thanks for tuning in to today's edition of In My Father's House as we study the book of Ephesians with Pastor Mike. It's no secret that people can sometimes be messy. So when you put all kinds of people into a church building, there's bound to be problems. 
For this reason, the Apostle Paul wrote to the people of Ephesus to remind them to remain unified in Jesus. When Jesus remains at the center of your relationships, the body of Christ is so much sweeter. Take Paul's writings to heart and seek to live in unity with those around you. If you'd like to explore more messages from Pastor Mike or to hear today's message again, just visit harvestnyc.org or find the podcast on your favorite podcast app. Be sure to subscribe. That way you'll be notified every time we post a new edition of the show. If you're in Midtown Manhattan, we'd love for you to come visit us at Harvest Christian Fellowship. Find directions, service times, and more information on our website, harvestnyc.org. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. And if you're listening outside of Manhattan, we'd love to know. Please send us a quick note at harvestnyc at verizon.net. That's harvestnyc at verizon.net. It's a great encouragement to Pastor Mike and the team at In My Father's House to hear where these messages are being listened to. With that, we've come to the end of our time with you today. We're so glad you were able to spend this past half hour with us. Join us again for more from this verse-by-verse study in the book of Ephesians next time, right here on In My Father's House. Trouble. I remember what you said. You returned.